We are in a series uh, called Resourced. Would everybody say resourced? resourced? You can do better than that. Say resourced. resourced. And um, our premise came out of, um, <clears throat> well, it, let's back up. As I study through Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, I find that God the Father had a great dream. See, when sin entered the earth at Adam and Eve's rebellion, sin then became the dominant factor in our lives, and sin separates us from our Creator. But from that point forward, God has been on a tangent, a journey, a, he's been on a mission to win his sons and daughters back to himself. And we see 2,000 years ago that God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came and he died on the cross. And he made a way for humanity to come back to the Father so that we could experience eternal life at the, our death with him forevermore. And so Jesus actually quoted multiple times about his mission. And we extracted last week from the moment that he was with Zacchaeus and this vile, wicked man who was no longer a follower of God, who had been raised in church or raised to follow God, but had turned his back on the living God as he had an encounter with the Messiah, Jesus. His whole life changes in that moment. He repents. And to the place that he'll give, he says, I'll give away half of everything, I've, everything I have, anything I've stolen, I'll pay it back multiple times over. And Jesus responded and said, salvation has truly come to your house today. And then he makes a statement out of Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We're on a mission as his followers to do the very thing that Jesus was after. And that was to seek and to save that which is lost. And so with that being said, I kind of gave us what I believe is kind of God's formula, God's plan, if you will, to seek and to save that which is lost. And it looks a little bit like this, Jesus, the cross, salvation to all men, paying for the sins of, of humanity, plus his church, because he didn't just come and start orphanages, what he did was he discipled, he trained, he, he gave forth who he was into the lives of other men and women. They then gave that forth, made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, who made disciples, and here we are. And so as we understand that we are the church, that's what Jesus did. He, he birthed his church, his followers. So Jesus plus his church plus the resources of heaven equals God's dream fulfilled. And one of the problems that I think is transpiring, especially in this hour like never before, is that we have forgotten that the days are short. Knowing then that the days are evil, how should we live, Ephesians says, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, listen, you'll know that the end has started, the birth pains, because you'll see wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, now, the pastors talk about pestilence. We've, we're living in what I believe are the birth pains. It has started. So like never before, the church has to arise and be a part of God's dream to seek and to save that which is lost. I illustrated it last week with that moment that I remember watching on television. I thought it was out of California. I didn't go back and research it. But there was a, 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 a Boy Scout troop that was on their wilderness expedition and one of the young men went to get firewood and got lost. And they searched for him for a few days. 
but it was so neat to watch, and they found the young man, his life was saved. But they, it was so neat as the helicopters and the media made it all out there, and all of these little Boy Scout fellas, they were going to go find their buddy. And they had their little backpacks, and in their backpacks they had their compasses, they had their little Swiss Army knives, they had everything they needed to go and seek and save that which is lost. God has given us his resources. And so we, we determined that what we would do is I would extract some of the key resources that we see in Scripture that God wants to use us with to give us so that we can seek and save that which is lost. And we connected to the parable of the talents, to when he gave one, to when he gave two, to when he gave five, each according to their ability. As they have grown in their ability, he could entrust them with more and more and more and more. And so as we read through that parable last week, we kind of came up with a key piece from that, and it's found in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And so I begin to pose the question, can God entrust you with a little? Can God entrust you with a little bit more? And has God been able to entrust you with all that he desires to entrust you with? If you think like I do, when I, I hire people all the time, I have been in a leadership position since I was very young. I've had staff. Um, we've got about 75 or so here at the church. Uh, I, I work with another larger staff at the, other, uh, at the Bible school that I serve with. And I have staff. And what I look for as a leader is someone who is trustworthy. And I look at someone and I say, well, their capacity is this, so I can't give them any more. Or their capacity is this. And those who continue to grow in their ability expand their capacity and can be trusted with more. So the question is not whether or not God has resources. The question is how much resource can he trust to you? Will you be faithful in the little so that he can make you ruler over much? And we have plenty of excuses why we don't. And if you didn't hear that message last week, please go back and listen to it. So with that being said, we're going to shift today with what I believe is one of the number one resources that God wants to entrust to his people so we can seek and save that which is lost. You ready? And that is money. Ah, yes. Preacher talking about money again. I'm out of here. Well, let me tell you why I'm talking about money. Because according to churchleader.com, there are 500 verses in the Bible about prayer and faith. Yet there are over 2,350 Bible verses on money and possessions. What that says to me is that God wants to entrust us with a great resource, but he recognizes that many times we'll love money more than we love him. And so he actually says that. He actually teaches about that. In fact, I would bring your attention to Psalms 24 and verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. What part of it is his? I don't know if we believe this, but it's what the Bible says. Everything in it, the world and all who live in it, everything belongs to God. It's not your money, it's his money. That's not your spouse, that's his daughter. It's his husband. That's his son, excuse me. That's not your children. That's his kids. That's not your job. That's his job. That's not your tree. That's his tree. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And the moment you get free from, it's mine and I want it now. The moment you get free from that, you can actually be entrusted with so much more than you're entrusted with now. Have you ever done that with a two-year-old? Ask them to share their sucker with the other two-year-old? I wonder how often God is saying, I need you to share that with this one. It's mine. And he goes, well, that's the last sucker I give you, sucker. 
First Timothy chapter 6 has kind of been one of the key pieces for me over the years. Verse 10 of 1 Timothy 6 and 10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is the root of all kinds of evil? The love of money. You've heard people misquote that all the time, especially when they try to take Bible stuff and put it out on tele television through Hollywood. Uh, money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. The love of money. Is the, that's a very distinctively different. Very, you have to have money to operate in this world. Somebody say yes. We win souls and do great works for God by using finances and money. Actually, I mean, it takes money to have this facility. It takes money to be able to reach out to the lost and the hurting. It takes that resource. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And it says, and because some have gotten bonded by this or bound to this, it says some eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the real goal and being entrusted with this great resource is to be delivered from the love of it. Are you tracking? Say yes. To be delivered from the love of it. We pierce ourselves with so many griefs because we want more of it. We want to, we want to fit in. We want to, we want to look like we've been successful and that how we have that money, how we use that money shows that we are something of value. Our identity becomes wrapped in that and the way people view us. And so some of us would never wear a used pair of shoes. Some of us would never buy a used car. We would have such issue with that, not because it's bad or good for us, but simply because others may think that we're less than what we want them to perceive us as and that is a burden and that is a that is a chore that will destroy you are you with me say yes i had a friend years ago who uh, bought a chainsaw because he was tired of cutting trees with his little handsaw he bought a chainsaw and no one had ever trained him on how to use that chainsaw and he got to work in that chainsaw and he cut a tree and as he cut that limb he came right on down across that leg right there the man still walks with a limp, but he's lucky to have his legs still on him because he had a power tool and didn't know how to use it. This is what I see for many Christians when it comes to money. It's a very powerful tool for the kingdom business, but if you don't know how to use it, it'll hurt you. Are you, are you tracking? Say yes. And so with that being said, my hope and my prayer is to begin to help you today to, number one, identify money for what it is. It is a tool for kingdom business. We can win the loss if we use this tool properly. We can be a part of God's dream to seek and save that which is lost if we use this tool. Do you think Jesus was poor? Because he wasn't. Do you understand when the, when, when, the, uh, when, when the wise men showed up at two years of age and brought Jesus and his parents these gifts, they didn't bring him one little, one little bottle of frankincense and a little bit of gold and a little thing. like They brought him piles of this stuff. These guys basically won the lottery. They, I mean, they had money. So when Jesus starts his ministry at 30 years of age, he had a financier. He had somebody rolling with him to take care of the finances. He had finances. He had money. Not to mention he had been working, if you will. He had been, he had been a carpenter. He probably more of a masonry worker in those days. And so he had made money in that way, well as, uh, that way as well. They had a treasure because they had money. Are you tracking? Say yes. And so you need to understand that those resources help propagate Jesus's ministry. He had an aunt that was constantly trying to give money into his ministry. He had others that would give into the ministry so they could move forward. He was taking care of 12 men every day. 
day. They 12 dudes eating three meals a day. Think that through for a little bit. I mean, we're, everywhere they went, taking care of them. So Jesus had an understanding of finances and money so that he could propagate the power of God through the earth and bring forth the kingdom of God. And when you don't understand that money is not evil, it actually is a tool. The love of money is evil. Then you misappropriate it and you'll start cutting off things and hurting people and hurting yourself in ways that you should never. Are you still there? Say yes. So the question is, can God trust you with millions of dollars? Can he? What would you do with it? I'll never forget, about 20 years ago, I was praying for, for like $100,000 for something we needed in the ministry. And the Lord said, I would love to give you a quarter of a million dollars. I said, you just bring it on. Let's go right now. And he said, no, no, I can't trust you. And he asked me, what would you do with it? Well, I said, well, I'll do this, I'll do this, and I'll do it. And he goes, really? So let's go back over your checklist. Is that what I would want you to do with it? Is that where my greatest need is at? So I can't trust you with millions because you can't be faithful with tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. Are you still with me? Say yes. In fact, if you've never seen how this thing works, there's been so much misappropriation in ministry and different things like that and, and people who call themselves lovers of Jesus. And, you know, last week we learned that the third servant, he couldn't handle the money. He mishandled it. And so he said he was scared. He said, I was scared and I took your talent and I hid it. And God rebuked him and said, you weren't scared, you were wicked and lazy. In other words, you could have been learning about this, but you didn't want to learn about how to handle this resource. And so I want to encourage you to not be wicked and lazy, but to learn how to use money that God could be able to put it in your hands so that you can bring it, that you can be that conduit we talked about and keep, just keep moving ministry forward and keep seeking and saving that which is lost. And that money doesn't control you, but you control it like the tool, the power tool that it is. Are you with me? Say yes. So with that being said, before we jump in, I want to give you a couple ways to steward or stewarding the resources of money. But the first thing I want to do before we go any further, I want to throw up a QR code. I want you to pull out your phone and I want you to click on it. I want you to zoom in on that QR code. Come on, you've been in a pandemic, so you've learned how to do this at every restaurant. And so pull out the QR code, I mean, uh, pull out your phone, scan that, and that's going to take you to a whole set of resources that I'm going to give you that I trust and that our team, our leadership team trusts that you could go on and encourage yourself and grow in your understanding of resources. You're going you're gonna to see Dave Ramsey in that piece. You're going to see some other, you're going to see uh, Gateway Church and what Pastor Robert Morris has taught. There's going to be some practical, even some secular uh, resources for people who aren't, quote, Christians, but understand how to work this resource, work this power tool. If I was buying a chainsaw and I'd never had one before, I'd get on YouTube and I'd watch every doggone video on how to work a chainsaw. Then I go find a man who already owns a chainsaw and I say, can you help me a little bit? Show me how you cut with this thing because I watch the videos, but there's one thing about watching a video, come on somebody, but there's another thing standing next to somebody who's already been there, done that. And that's what I would be doing if I wanted to learn how to use a chainsaw and that's how I know how to use a chainsaw because I've done that over and over. If you're not good at money or you want to be better at money, then you need to extend your abilities by researching, studying, and growing. Are you with me? Say yes. I was scared. I didn't know what to do with money. That's your problem. That's an excuse for being wicked and lazy. Don't be lazy. Learn how to work with money so God can do something great through your life. Are you there? Say yes. So with that being said, those are, your QR, those are some of your resources that we give you or that we would send you to as a, as a church leadership. Let's move in now to stewarding the resources of money. Here's the first thing I would teach you to do. Number one, work a plan. Work a plan. Someone else might have called it live by a budget or live on a budget. 
but work a plan. I love what Proverbs 21.5 says. The plans of the diligent seek surely to abundance. Excuse me, lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Jesus had a plan and he worked the plan. The Bible says, how foolish for a man to go to war, not first count, to see if he's got enough troops to win the battle. Therefore, if he realizes he doesn't know, should that man not quit the conflict and go and humble himself and see if we can't resolve it outside of battle? Many of us live way beyond our means. We are in debt and we have difficulty because we don't have a plan. You, someone else has told you what kind of little plan to have and you've never even researched a plan. You're not living on a budget. I live on a budget. This church exists on a budget. Let me tell you how our budget looks. We walk, live on a percentage, and I would highly suggest that you do the same. The first thing we do here at Hill City, as your tithes and offerings come in, the first thing we do is we tithe 10%. 10% of all of your tithes and offerings go straight to missionaries. We tithe 10%. We don't give it to the youth ministry. We don't give it to outreach. We don't build another building with it. 10% right off the top. If you're not tithing 10% right off the top, you are missing a strong principle in the Holy Scriptures. 10% of what you bring in, because God wants to know, if I, can I trust you to live on 90%? That's it. God, God's got this little testing plan, and tithing is all about it. It tests the, 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 the pliability of a man or woman's heart. It's my money. I don't have to give it to him. I, I can't tell you how many people that I know will argue the tithe over and back and forth again, talk about doctrinally and theologically. And I've, I've, I've studied all of their arguments. I went back and forth with even people in our church leadership that I love. And at the end of the day, you just can't get past it from the very beginning, even, even right out of the gate in the book of Genesis, that God expected both Cain and Abel to give of their first fruits from the very beginning. So you can call it an Old Testament thing. You can say it's not new in the New, in the new Testament. They gave everything. So which one do you want? I'll take 10%, Lord. You trust me with that. Because they brought everything and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so 10% in my mind is a starting place as I understand Scripture to just trust God and God learning to be able to trust me if I can trust him with 10% off the top. This church does that. Then the second 10% that we, right, we, right off the top, we put, totally put it in savings. Totally put 10%. And then we do all the operations of this church and ministry straight out of that 80%. And we keep a 35% range for staffing. Which is, if you're a business person, you know that's unbelievable for a nonprofit, because the, the 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 we don't have a product per se. We're not selling this, and we have to put this much towards you know development and research. And that. so our product really is ministering to the people. If you talk talk business sense, and so it, typically that would be in in the average church in America somewhere around fifty and a little higher, fifty percent or so. We keep a low staffing because most of all of our staff are bivocational in some kind of, all of your network pastors, except maybe one, they're all bivocational. They all work multiple jobs. They all have their own, their own careers and things like that. They minister to you from the purity of their heart. And so, the, so to have a hard expectation, when they didn't call me back, bro, they have three other jobs going right now. They love you the best they can. But we all need to pull the load together. That's kind of the way this church is wired. And that's because we see that in Scripture. If you don't pull 10% right off the top, I'm telling you, you're hurting yourself. You need to learn to live on a plan. You need to get a budget going. You need to sit down with your wife and say, baby, where did we spend the money? Because I know you're the only one that knows because I don't know. I just go make it, praise the Lord. You need to sit down and say, can we look and talk about a budget? I had a guy years ago, young man, he had just graduated Bible school. He'd gotten on staff at the city of Grand Prairie. He was on their, uh, he was on their uh, maintenance staff, I think. He was, this kid was 25 years old, 25, 26 making $50,000 a year. 
right out the gate, still living with mom and dad. And I asked him one time, I said, man, why do you always look broke? He said, I don't know. Pastor Dan, would you meet with me? I said, sure. So I took him to breakfast one day. I said, well, tell me what your problem is. He goes, I don't know. I said, do you tithe? He goes, yes. I said, all right, well, we checked that one off. I said, well, tell me about your budget. He goes, what's that? I said, that's your problem. I said, well, you live at home. You, you make $50,000 and you live with mom and daddy. Because he was like, I want to get married. I'm like, I wouldn't marry you. I wouldn't let anyone I know marry you. You're living at home. You don't, you don't, you're not responsible. But you make $50,000 a year. What are you doing with it? He goes, I don't know. So on the back of a napkin, we started going through where he spends his money so we could create a budget. I mean, that boy had the top-notch cell phone. He had the number one cell phone. He had the biggest plan they had. So that was like $125. We went down through the list, and when we got to the end of all of my, me asking him questions, he was spending 50% of his money on eating out. That dude, we went through it. He said, I said, what, what, would you, what do you do for breakfast? Every day he stopped at either Sonic and got their breakfast, Burger King, McDonald's, and then somewhere in the middle of their workday, they'd all go run over to Circle K or something and get, a, and get a Slurpee or something like that and a Snickers bar. Then they would go eat lunch somewhere, and then he was eating dinner out, and he was eating dinner out with all the single people in the church. And he, you know, since he was rolling in the cash, he'd pay for this one's meal and that one's meal. The boy had no money. He was eating it all away. And he didn't have any idea because he wasn't living on a budget. I guarantee you, most everyone in this church right now, you have $100 to $200 that you're spending that you don't even know you're spending that you don't have to have. Guarantee you. You say, what? What are you talking about? Well, let's just go through how many Netflix accounts you have and things like that that are taking, knocking you down 30 bucks a month and 25 over here and 75 over there. I promise you, if you get back down on a budget, look, I mean, work your fingers down through it. You go, there's a little bit of money that you can find that you're spending that you don't need. Get on a budget, then you'll have more than enough. In fact, the reason why so many people, this is why God can't entrust millions of dollars to us because we don't know how to manage the, the thousands that we have now. And so when we learn to manage and get it in a percentage and say, you know, I'm going to give this much away. I'm going to do this with this. You need to have entertainment, but it needs to be in a percent. It needs to be budgeted, not just everywhere with all. So I tell people all the time, they're like, hey, would you, you want to go out with us and we're going to eat? I was like, man, I can't right now. Well, what do you mean? Well, we're, we're a little tight on the budget right now. Well, I'll pay for it. No, because then you're going to get tight on a budget. No, no. How about we just talk over the phone? Praise the Lord. I love you. That's why I'm paying this hundred dollars a month for this doggone cell phone. You know, we have to eat over it. I'm already, you, you tell I ain't missing no meals, so I was like, we have to do that. One of the most notorious problems that we're seeing, especially with young men who've never been trained on how to live on a budget, is the loss of millions of dollars. And we, nothing says it better than our professional football players. Here's these young men that have never been trained on how to handle all this money. In fact, 3030 did a little special. And I want to just play a little clip of kind of the problems that we see happening with these young men because no one's ever taught them how to work on a budget. Go ahead, play that. My first contract, I think it was... Uh, Six million dollars over over five years. Seven point six million, two point five million a year. Number one all time. That's that's the biggest NFL contract in NFL history for a defense player. My first check was for like five hundred thousand. Thirty-three and a half million for seven years. And then I went on a splurge. <laughs> the first thing I bought for myself was a a, a Cadillac Escalade. I wanted earrings that, you know, were $30,000. I always wanted a Porsche, but 
didn't eat the Porsche at the exact same time I had to escalate and I tricked out Denali. Young athletes and their millions, the pitfalls of that much money. What is it about young guys coming into the league these days? What are the pressures on them that cause them to get into that position? I lost two houses back to back. I lost four houses. Man, you keep this up, you could be broke. I ended up to the point where I was broke. I'm just here to tell you, man, it doesn't last forever. Before you know it, looked up, I was broke. Broke the result of not that they didn't have money, they didn't know how to manage money. They, and they didn't know how to manage money because no one had ever put them on a budget. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but there are companies at the moment that those young men come off the football field, they have already had their size and their measurements and in their locker so that before they go meet the press is a $15,000 suit waiting on them to put on that's according to their liking. And it just comes straight out of their paycheck. These men don't even know. They just say yes to it. Like, oh, yeah, I guess I need to look nice before I go on ESPN, you know, for the after-game interview kind of thing. And, uh, and they, don't, they don't even know what they're being charged. It's just sucking them dry. I wonder how much is sucking us dry because we don't live on a budget. I wonder how much we could get back and get restored to ourselves if we actually would live on a budget. There's a man in our church and his boss, very successful businessman, he spent over, he was telling me he spent over $300,000 last year in alcohol alone. $300,000. He urinated $300,000 last year. And he's going to he's gonna have to replace his liver at some, are you tracking with me? Replace it. And this man is faithful to his church. So we're not talking about like a, a wicked person. We're talking about a person who has, what, how much sex trafficking could we stop with $300,000 in the next three months? How many, how many lives could be turned around with that kind of money? I wonder where we're wasting that money simply because we don't live on a budget. I don't think we should live our lives without any kind of excitement and we should celebrate things and, and things like that. I, I, think you, I think you should have you know, a gym membership. I think you should go out to eat and have fun with your friends and things like that. But my God, at some point, that thing is sucking us dry and we have no other money. So guess what that causes us to do? Now we're living for that house. We're, every day we're working our, 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 our tails off for a house, for a car, but for these things that we don't necessarily even need, but we don't know what we need because we don't know how to live on a plan. And I don't care how wealthy you are, how much money you do have or don't have, if you don't learn to work a plan, then it leads to foolishness and brokenness. Create a plan, work that plan, stick with that plan, and let that plan lead you in the right path because that shows to the Lord, it shows to leaders that says that person knows how to be entrusted with something. They're going to work a plan, they're going to be consistent with it, they're not going to be foolish and all of a sudden just go kind of go crazy. Proverbs 14, 29 says, but he he who is impulsive exalts folly. He who is impulsive exalts folly. How many times have you and I actually grabbed stuff that we didn't even need? That's why they put the impulse buys right there at the checkout counter. It's all the little stuff. It's like, you know, I'm sitting there waiting to check out. I'm like, dang, I need some beef jerky. I don't know why. What flavor beef jerky is that? $5 for three ounces. I need that tell you right now. I'm looking at that going, well, I need that. That guy has some. It's amazing how much money they make off us and the markup at the convenience stores and how quickly we pull in the, because we've been working so hard and we deserve it. We deserve it. Because you're not on a budget, you have no idea what you're losing and what you're making and so forth and so on. And friend, can I tell you, at the end of the day, here's what I would teach you to do in reference to this one point, and that is work a plan. Here's what you should do. You should pray to God for fortitude. Pray to God. So get a plan and then say, God, I need your fortitude to see it through. I need your fortitude. I need your strength to see it through because I'm so easily tempted. Boy, that new Bronco's coming out, dear Jesus. 
what? I need that. It's got the nostalgia attached to it. I need that. Oh, God, I'm, I'm, gas prices are up so bad. I need that new EV truck that's come out that's $85,000. We don't even know if the batteries are going to work for how long, but Lord, I got to have it because it's so cool. Those are impulse buys, and those things kill you. If you have budgeted for that, and you've been saving for that, and that thing comes along, boom, you're ready to grab it. But you need to work a budget. Are you still there? Say yes. You still love your pastor? Say yes. Here's the second big truth that I would teach. If you want to manage great resources from heaven, if you want God to entrust you with millions of dollars, you've got to start to learn how to work that power tool. You've got to learn how to work the power tool, okay? Here's the second big thing you've got to learn, and that is you've got to get out of debt. You've got to get out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7, the rich rule over the poor. Why? And the borrower is the servant to the lender. You're poor because you're borrowing from people and you're making them richer, right? He said, well, that's what you got to do to get started. There is a truth in good debt. There is some good debt. In my mind right now, the house, uh, my house is a good debt because the percentage rate that I got it at. I, I, I bought a car the other day at like 2.5%. That's good debt, actually. I'm actually taking the money that I, if I could, I could have, I could have wrote a check for it. I could have I cashed out all my savings and some of my other investments and wrote a check for that car. And I bought a little used car. We, we always buy used cars because it's cheaper that way. And we save all kinds of money on it that way. But I could have wrote a check for it. Or I could take that money and I could invest it. And it's making more money than the 2.5% that I'm being charged to borrow someone else's money. But what happens is when you borrow money from people, then you owe them. And then they, they have this thing called compound interest. You may not know about that. This is not the time or the place to teach you about that. In fact, uh, Pastor Jack Clark is going to, he, uh, a former uh, financial advisor, he's going to do a mini seminar Saturday, it was April 4th, I think it is, right up here. Anyone who wants to grow and learn, he said, well, I know enough. Well, if you know so much, then you can help us and help others to get out of debt and start doing some things. Otherwise, you and I need to be able to be entrusted with millions, so we got to learn. we got to grow. we got to work the gift that we have, and we got to get better at what we do know and what we don't know. Are you tracking? Say yes. So let me just give you a little bit of a, look at this debt chart. This is, uh, this is from a couple years ago. Uh, so the average American in, in uh, home has, this, has about $16,000 of credit card debt. That's the scariest to me. In fact, when we're marrying couples, uh, not when I'm getting married to them, but when I'm uh, doing their weddings and we do pre, uh, pre-marriage counseling, we're finding that each of, those, each of those singles are bringing somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000 into the marriage of debt. Primarily credit card debt. And so credit card debt is just over expenditure is what that is. You should pay, up, pay off your credit card because a lot of these credit cards that you got are somewhere between 10 and 20% uh, uh, compound interest rate. It's just killing you. Not, you you're losing money. Uh, auto loans, uh, at, average American uh, is at 29000 just under 30000 Student loans, $50,000. There's, I could teach you a whole thing on student loans and how uh, you, we see, we're seeing the world turn. We talk about the futurists, those who are talking about where we're going, like an Elon Musk. Elon says, I'm not hiring anybody out of college anymore. They come to me with all this debt, and they think they know everything, and I'm trying to teach them new ways. He says, it's not worth my time. In fact, Elon is actually challenging the way we do university and training because most of these kids are spending the first two three years, and they're not learning a single thing, and not anything that'll help them in their careers anyway, and so, but they've got all this, they've got all this debt, these student loans, and who's giving them the money? The government. Anyway, 50,000, I love my nation, anyway, $50,000 of student loans is the average household in the United States, $50,000, 
And then, of course, your mortgage is somewhere around uh, the average uh, United States house home. is somewhere around 182000 or so like that. And so what we're talking about is we're owing other people, and we're working two and three jobs to pay them off for things that we had to have. Maybe we didn't need the house that was that expensive. Maybe we didn't need a car that was that nice. Maybe we could have gotten a used car a little bit cheaper. I was working with a, uh, I have an assistant at the Bible school, and her and her husband just got married, and I was asking her some questions. I was like, well, you know, when my wife and I first got married, we did this thing called the envelope system, where we literally put this much, and we took our paycheck, and we put each little bit, that we, every bit of our money in these envelopes. One was an entertainment, one was our mortgage, one was our car note, one was our insurance, and she goes, oh yeah, like this, and she pulled out an app, and she's like, we've been doing it, and I was like, oh my goodness, you kids are way too smart. And so there are apps for all of that to help you stay on a budget that'll create a budget for you. Just do a little bit of research. Don't be wicked and lazy and call it that you were scared. You have the ability, the information age that we live in. You and I can get so much better. And see, debt sometimes is the result of bad decisions, but sometimes debt is the result of bad things that have happened to you. I mean, there are people that are in debt simply because they had a car accident. It wasn't even their fault. There are people who are in debt because they had a medical emergency. I have a, we have a, a spiritual son and daughter that we oversee their ministry. And uh, Brad, Stroop, some of you know Brad. We have him minister here periodically. And Brad, years ago, I think they were, they were probably uh, had their first child already. I don't know. But he had, um, he had um, a major medical situation. I think, what was it, baby? He had his... His appendix exploded, and because he didn't have insurance, he didn't know that it was uh, appendix exploded, and so he got he actually got infection on the inside as this appendix exploded. And finally, he couldn't take the pain. He went to the emergency room. They admitted him. They cut him open. They did major surgery. They had to keep him for a number of days to try to see if he would even live because of all of this poison that uh, had been exploded inside of his body. They got him healthy. They got him out after a week or two, and they gave him a bill. I want to talk about a bill tens of thousands of dollars. He calls me. He says, what do I do? I said, well, how much money do you get? He goes, well, I ain't got nothing close to that. I said, then what are you going to do? He goes, I don't know. Tell me. I said, well, you go to them and you tell them I can pay you $100 a month for the rest of my life. He goes, that'll work? I said, I don't know. That's what you got. <laughs> so he went and he sat down with them and he appealed to him. He said, I don't have that kind of money. I mean, there's not a whole lot you can take from me. I mean, we're newlywed. We don't own our house. You know, we, we don't have anything. And uh, we're a new, young couple. I've got, a, I've got a brand new baby. And so they said, okay. So he starts sending them $100 a month. He did that for four years. And I'll never forget, four years into this thing, he calls me. He's jumping up and down. He goes, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what? He said, I just got an official letter from the hospital. It says that your, de your debt has been canceled. We're clearing off our books and we deem you is never going to pay us back. Keep your hundred dollars. <laughs> and we, and we just, you have no idea. You, you can consolidate debt so you can bring down the interest that you're paying. There's things that you can do, but you don't, if you don't step up and say, Lord, I know you want to entrust me with so much more. And I've made some bad decisions. I've had some bad turns in life. Things have just happened, God, and I need your help. And so that would lead me to teach you to do this. Pray for God's intervention. In reference to debt, God, I need you to intervene. This is my third marriage. I'm still paying uh, on, on the first two marriages. Some of you guys, you got 75% of your check is going to your baby mama drama. I mean, it's going out there before you can even get it in there. And that's tough. I'm so sorry. And that is so painful. Pray, God, I need your intervention. 
Because me and my new wife, can't even, we, can't even, we can't even afford to go to McDonald's. God, I, I need your intervention. Could you help me? And may, and may the Lord give you wisdom and guidance. He'll give you an idea to go meet with this person. He'll give you an idea to, to ask for, for some type of debt cancellation with this group. You have no idea what God can do. But because you're not even attempting to get out of debt, you're just like, oh, well, it is what it is. Because you have that attitude towards it, this is that wicked and lazy attitude that the, what the, that the one with the one talent can, can continue to live in to where the master said you're wicked and lazy and I can't do anything with you I can't entrust anything to you but the guy take in fact take what was his and give it to the guy who had five who got ten because I see whatever I give him he will learn how to work that thing and turn it into more he will actually expand the kingdom of God with the resources I didn't trust with him and this is who we want to be isn't that true say yes which brings me to point number three you got to listen fast point number three and that is save and invest Save and invest. Proverbs 21, 20. The wise man, everybody say wise man. Try it again. Wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man <laughs> spends whatever he gets. Do you know why you never hear us beg you? Guys, I need y'all's special offering time because the air conditioning units have gone out. The such and such. You know why we don't have to beg and plead with you? Because we know how to manage money. Because we put 10% in savings. We got this old building seven years ago. And we could have spent, I could have put us in so much debt and remodeled this thing. And you walk in and look like all those new young churches. You'd be like, wow, wow, wow. And then I could push you every week. And if you don't tithe, the power of God's going to get you. I tell you, you're robbing God. You're robbing him is what you're doing. We get a couple of people up here. Hey, don't forget to bring your tithes and offerings. Here's the way you can give it. And some of you are like, that's not the church I came from. It was a 30-minute message on how wicked we are if we don't tithe. <laughs> Why don't we do all that? Because we're only going to do what you have faith to entrust to your church. If you don't have faith to tithe 10%, then we ain't got the ability to do any more than what we're doing. Because we're going to manage what you have faith for. And because we're good stewards of that. I can't believe these ministers who will take the money. They are out of their ever-living mind. Let me tell you the fear that me and the stewardship team live under. This is God's money. That tithe is God's money. It ain't your money. It ain't my money. It's God. And in fact, a couple years ago, I've told you this before, a couple years back, one of the young leaders, um, had, we were printing some little printouts so that we could invite people to this outreach we were doing. We took our little money, and we, and we, and we made these. And the, the young man who was in charge of making sure that that happened didn't, didn't pay attention to it all the way, and there was a misprint in the middle of it. was totally wrong. There was a date was off on these handouts. And so I took him over to the garbage can, and he had thousands. It, we paid for thousands. It, it wasn't a whole lot of money, probably five $600 by, by ways of money. And I was like, hey, you, you didn't check this. I know, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, come here. Listen. I said, do you know Miss So-and-so, our little widow lady? She lives on like $300 a month on her little check. I said, well, here, let's throw those. That's her tithe that you just threw away in the garbage. Stood him over the dumpster. I said, do you know so-and-so who was in that car accident? And you know how they're really struggling. We've been praying for them that they could, that they could have enough food this month. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's their tithe that you just misappropriated. He tells the story all the time. He said, Pastor Adam, I ain't never been whipped so hard. Because I want you to understand, that's the Lord's money. And people by faith are trusting him and then trusting us to steward that. I live in such fear. You have no idea. I lay awake at night sometimes like, oh, Jesus, did I accidentally leave the lights on up at that church? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Why? Because it's his money, and you trusted him, and you gave it to him. Right. Gave back to him. What's it? And I have to steward that. 
I, me and the finances have to steward that. These idiots that are buying airplanes, ooh, Jesus, help them, Lord God. I don't, I don't want to be there on that day with them. You need to learn to, number three, save and invest. Save and invest. You should have something in savings. That's why we don't have to beg and plead for you guys because we have some money in savings, and every time something breaks around here, we don't beg and plead. We just go get it done because we, we save properly. We could take, we've got enough money in savings to operate the church for uh, one year straight. So when we went into the pandemic, all the churches were losing their mind. And missionaries were being told by churches around the United States, missionaries were being told, we don't know if we're going to have any money to send you. Um, and I contacted all of our missionaries and said, hey, your money was already established a year in advance. Because we, we keep our missionaries on a one year. That's what we commit to them, one year. We reevaluate them. Our, our missions team reevaluates them in November. And when they finish reevaluating as to whether we're going to continue to support them and whether it's a proper partnership, which we've only had one or two over the years that they came off the field, so we stopped supporting them. But everyone will reevaluate them, and we do it on a one-year contract, if you will, so they know they're getting their money because we made that commitment. Our word is our bond. Are you with me? Say yes. So we contact them and say, hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but your money's already set aside. Don't, don't worry about it. You've got 2020 and 2021. And they're like, you're the greatest passion. There's not a whole lot, but you can count on it. Because we live on a, and we save money because hard times are going to come. In 2008, in the economic downturn, everybody was losing their mind. I lost multiple pieces of investment and things like that. But I'd saved some money on the side, I had our savings account. It was, it was not a whole lot of money. And American Airlines, Airlines stock plummeted all the way down to $2. It got as low as $1.75. I bought it $5, and I bought it $2. And when it went to 175, I started praying like a madman. I was like, there goes my little money. I knew that I knew. I had this thing in my heart. God's going to take that and bring that thing back. I didn't have a lot of money, but I had a little bit in savings. So when the opportunity availed itself, I had monies in savings to actually get, uh, take advantage of an opportunity. Some of you don't have the, you don't have the advantage to take, care, to take advantage of opportunities when they come to you because you have nothing. You have no resources saved. So I had, the, I had that little money. Can I tell you what happened? That, obviously, the American government bailed out American Airlines because it has their name. Anyway, so bailed them out. Remember the bailout? And those guys, that stock began climbing back up. And when it got to like 28 or $30, where I had bought it at $2 and $5, and, and I had only spent probably $800 total or 1000 something like that, it had bumped, that increase it landed me somewhere over $10,000. And that's how I bought my next house because of that little bit of money, being wise to save and to invest. See, these are the wisdom pieces. Maybe mom and dad didn't teach you. Maybe they didn't know how to do it. Maybe they just lived every day to just make the money and then spend the money and make the money and spend the money. But friend, if you live like that, you do not understand how to use money as a tool, then it will use you as its tool. And we've got to learn how to work it. Are you with me? Say yes. So here's what I would do about saving. You say, I don't have any money in savings. I don't know how to invest. Then here's what I would do. I would pray to God for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. I don't have any money and say, so give me wisdom. Show me how to get this. Lord, I don't have any investments. Show me how to, show me how to do that. Brings me to number four. We've got to move fast. You guys aren't listening fast enough. Let's go. Number four. Number four, foster high-quality relationships. Do you, you heard John yell yes because he's the master at it. Foster high-quality relationships. Because who you hang out with is who you become. Oh, you didn't hear me. Who you hang out with is who you become. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. 
Charlie Jones said it like this, you will be the exact same person in five years as you are today, except for the books you read and the people you meet. Did you know that? Stanford did, a, did, uh, Stanford did this big research thing, and, uh, and they found out that over 10 years, your income will become within 10 to 20% of your closest friends. Your closest friends will be at the same financial level as you over a 10-year period. So if you hang out with people who have a poor mentality, this is you going to have. Money doesn't control me, but I, do, I am not scared to use it for kingdom business. I'm believing to put campuses all over this metroplex. Do you know the millions of dollars that's going to take? You know what that means? That means, God, you've got to do some miracles in our lives. So you can tithe more and I can tithe more. My goal is to be always a top ten giver at Hill City. And that the majority of my income does not come from your tithe. I make, just to give you this, just to give you some confidence, I make 50% less than the average pastor in my position of a church this size. The board is always fussing at me about it. And I said, no, 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 listen. I want to be able to have more staff. I can bring in some other resources because God has taught me how to have more income. I can do that. But I want to be able to serve these people better by having more staff. And if we give me a big salary, then we won't be able to hire a couple other positions, and I'd rather have those positions. And the board's always like, well, you've got to take care of yourself. And I'm like, Jesus takes care of me. But it is their job to watch after me and make sure I don't do nothing stupid. So, so I'm not, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't kissing up to you. I just wanted you to know the concept in this church. Yeah, I just wanted you to know the concept in this church. So you can begin to build trust. Because part of tithing is not just trusting God, but it's also trusting those that are overseeing that resource, right? And so, and so I don't put my money with certain groups. <laughs> I'm like, nope, no, sir. So you need to foster high-quality relationships. I was, um, I was, I was, my wife, um, my daughter and I were going through the drive-thru a couple, a uh, couple years ago at the Chick-fil-A, and uh, there's this young man standing out there, and when he saw uh, Mariah graduate for a, from A&M, she had her A&M sweatshirt on, and he goes, oh, wow, you graduated from A&M? She goes, yeah, he goes, I just graduated, I think he said Stanford, it was one of the Ivy League schools. And, and I look at him, and y'all, y'all know me, I'm like, You just, and so I asked him, what'd you graduate in? <laughs> Philosophy? I mean, what are you doing out? You're in the drive-thru taking my order at Chick-fil-A. Like, he goes, no, I graduated in business. I said, you graduate from business at Stanford? He goes, yeah. I said, so why are you standing outside taking my order <laughs> at Chick-fil-A? He goes, are you kidding me? He goes, I've done the research. One of the quickest ways to be a multimillionaire is to have a Chick-fil-A. I was like, are you serious? He goes, Yeah. He said, in Chick-fil-A, they don't let you just come straight on in because you got some degree. He said, you got to start at the bottom. you got to work every position. He goes, but the reason why I'm here is because the owners, they've agreed to mentor me and help me get my own store. Yes. He goes, this is the greatest opportunity ever. See, he's rolling with high-caliber people so he can become a high-caliber person. Are you tracking? Yes. See, you, you rolling with your cousins, and all they do is borrow money from you and steal money from you. You need, to, you need to foster some relationship with some people who know how to handle money. Are you tracking? Say yes. All right. Y'all didn't like it, but it's true. Anyway, so here's the prayer. Pray to God for divine connections. Divine, Lord, I need divine connections in my life today. Lord, someone today that can teach me a few things. Lord, that can mentor me a little bit in this. Or someone who rolls a little, little, little higher than I do, Lord God, so I can learn from them and watch how they handle their money and how, how God can trust me with more. That's got, that should be your prayer. Here's number five. You've got to move fast. Number five, have multi-streams of income. 
have multi-streams of income. This would be the fifth big thing that I would teach you out of Scripture. The Bible says that Abraham, look at this, Genesis 13 to Abraham. You know who Abraham is? Father Abraham had many sons. All right, Abraham, the father of our faith, Abraham. Abraham. Without him, there is no covenant. Are you understand? Abraham was rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. If gold had a bad year, silver and livestock. Some kind of storm came through and killed half his cattle, gold and silver that, that year, God could bless those, those streams. Some of you have this one stream mentality. I'm telling you, you better wake up because Gen Z doesn't think like that. Gen Z do not think like that. They are constantly thinking about multi-streams. They're going to work from their converted van on the side of the ocean on their laptop, and they're going to go to the thrift store, and they're going to make money off the clothes they buy at the thrift store, selling it on Poshmark. I mean, whatever the dog things called. While they are also uh, uh, doing uh, marketing and advertisement for your small business. While, right, and YouTubing it and making money off of YouTube. As, they get it. So we better catch up. You need to have multi-streams of income. How much time do you waste every evening watching TV that could be spent on some kind of little side stream? So I've told you this before. I'll tell it to you again. Just kind of give you a personal point of reference. Uh, when we quit all of our ministry and gave up all of our money uh, traveling and things like that to, to plant this church, we had one little last income check, text check come in. It was $3,500. It was huge. It was like the biggest we'd ever had. And that's how much we paid in taxes that year. And I, I, Jamie and I held it in the hand. I said, baby, we're now poor. Because <laughs> we said yes to Jesus. <laughs> and so I just want you to know, God's going to have to do something. So we, we laid our hands on that. I said, God, I need this seed to somehow finance us. We need some miracles. The church was very small at the time. Yet I was able to get a little small salary out of it, but we had to sell everything to even be able to live at that level. We came down a, 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 a large level down. And so, and so I prayed over that thing. And while we were praying, I had in my mind, I love all the preachers and prophets say, I had a vision from heaven. I had a thought in my brain. Okay? Call it a vision, call it whatever you want to call it, but that's what it was. And I had remembered some people in Louisiana, in our church in Louisiana, who had financed every one of their kids to go to private Christian school because they had two Shelties. They had a male and female Sheltie dog that they bred and they sold their puppies. And so I just said that. I said, baby, I just had this thought. These people remember the Shelties. She goes, oh, we can sell cats. I was like, oh, praise the Lord. And then I'm telling you, Proverbs 31, she kicked it into gear. Proverbs 31, she started researching. She wouldn't, no one in the United States would sell us the cats that she wanted to breed, so she found somebody in Europe. And it just so happened I had one more speaking engagement overseas. It was to Germany. Jamie found a woman in Germany who would sell us a male and a female for $3,500. We grabbed those cats, brought them back, and we've been making money ever since. She clears about $1,000 per cat. And she's now up to about six or seven females and two males. It, they have their own house. <laughs> Seriously. We bought a piece of property with an old nasty, beat-up mobile home on the back of it, full of rats and snakes, and I, I spent six months fixing it up. They had their own cat house, for those of you that are older. <laughs> Can I tell you how many times that money has sustained us? Can I tell you how many times that money has sustained us? When other things were not happening, it was another stream. Are you with me? Say yes. You need multi-streams. Think out of the box. Stop thinking the same. Why? Because God wants to entrust you with millions. 
I know I have spiritual sons and daughters that their little side hustle has made them so much money that they quit this over here and now God is using them with this and they're making millions of dollars. Millions of dollars and they're just doing so much ministry with it. It's amazing. All right? Some of you say, well, I'm going to tithe and I'm going to give once I make money. No, you won't. If you won't do it in little, you won't do it with much. If you're not creative with little, you'll never be creative with much. Okay? Let's keep going. Last one. We got to go. Got to go. Got to go. Man, I got to shut down all of this. Oh, wait. Pray for God opportunities with the multi-streams. That's your prayer. God, I need multi-streams. Lord, I need you to give me God opportunities. Father, I'll do it. You send a God opportunity my way. I'm telling you, I'll do it, God. You send a God opportunity my way, Lord, and I'm in. I will cut out how much Netflix I'm watching. I will, I will do this. I'll do that. Friend, let me tell you something. I tell all the young men all the time, if I were you, I would get a job at being a fire, fireman. They're always like, why? Like, because you can retire in 20, 25 years, making, what you, making your full salary. And most of what you're, gonna do, you're getting paid for is the training. And a lot of the time spent in that 30 to 40, 40 hours a week that you're working on the clock is sitting around waiting for a fire. In that time, you could start a lawn business and hire some dudes to go do the business. You manage it. You could have, you could have an, online, an online store that makes money while you're sitting there at the fire department. You're making money on top of money. And they're all like, huh. Like, <laughs> All right, last one. We got to go. And that is number six, live to give. This is a spiritual principle that is very difficult for some people because you've lived to get. But live to give. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how exciting your life would be if every day you were giving something away to somebody? Do you, and it blessed people? Look, look what Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says. It is possible to give away and become rich. That's the Bible. It is also possible to hold on too tight and lose everything. Yes, the liberal man shall be rich. By watering others, he waters himself. The most exciting times for me is when I tip that gal at that restaurant after just telling her about Jesus and I tip her 40%. And she goes, sir, I think you made a mistake. No, I did not, sweetheart. This is too much. No, it's not because your life is worth a billion times more than this. And thank you for just giving me a second to tell you about the love of my life, Jesus Christ. And I pray that he would, he, he would come into your life and that you'd let him into your heart. And these big tears, thank you, sir, I will. What's the name of your church? I ain't telling you. I'm telling you, this ain't to get you to come to my church. I just want you to know Jesus. Go find a good church. I just want you to know Jesus. Generous people are happy. Generous people live simple. Have you ever thought about how much junk you got in your house that you don't need? We moved recently. And we moved, we had to put all of our stuff in storage because the house that we were moving into was an old farmhouse that needed some remodeling. We couldn't quite fit who we were in the little house. So in the time of remodeling it, we also started living in one of the back rooms and it was a crazy life for a few months last year. And then when we finally got the remodel finished, I was like, yay, well by that time, we had bought a second set of plates, come on somebody. We had a three more glasses to drink out of. And, we, and, and so then Jamie was like, we got to go get all of our stuff out of the two, no, the biggest storage bin that U-Haul has. And we pulled up. I said, what is this junk? What do we need? We've been living just fine for six months without all this mess. It's amazing. how. Imagine if you and I just started giving it away and living with what we needed. See, if you didn't have all the extras, you could have really good necessities. Think about that. Think about how much junk is cluttered. How much clutter we as Americans have? Go to India. Go to any other country. Go to Europe. 
That's why, that's why all you guys love Ikea, because it's, it's so minimalistic. That's all they have, is that one little dresser. That's why it takes an engineer to put it together. I mean, because that's all they're ever going to have in their mind. We're like, ah, we'll throw that one out, go get another one. You and I can live to give. It is the most exciting part of my, my day, is to give somebody something, to bless them. Apostle Paul said it like this, I can't wait to be with you so I can invest some kind of spiritual gift to you. Wow, how exciting is Christianity and following Jesus when we do like our Savior and we're constantly giving. Well, I want you to do me a favor. Stand quickly across the room. Your prayer is that God would make an impact with you, that God would give you impact opportunities to give to others. Pray for God impact in people's lives as you give things this year. I want you to commit. Think like this with this last point. Lord, I want to give something away every day. Do you know how much complaining would cease in your life when you started giving, just giving, man, I, I wanted to bring this to you, bro. I heard you say the other day that you, you needed one. I got three chainsaws, and I wanted to give you this. Are you serious, bro? Yeah, man. Dude. Then all of a sudden, the Bible says your gift makes room for you. In other words, then people start listening to you. So why are you like this? Man, I'm so blessed. God is so good to me. I don't need all this stuff. I have everything I need. He takes care of all my needs. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes for the next couple seconds, and I want you to ask the Lord... What in you is keeping him from entrusting you with billions of dollars? Money is a resource for kingdom business. I want you to ask and say, Lord, what in all of your teachings of scripture have I missed? Do I have a hole in my bag because I don't tithe? Lord, I don't live on a budget. Is that what's really hindering me? I don't even know where I'm losing money at or where I'm making money at. Maybe you've gotten so caught up in just your little job that you're not thinking beyond that. Just ask the Lord, say, Lord, open my mind to dream for multi-streams of income. Open my way of thinking, Lord God, today. Some of you have been lazy and you've not gone and trained yourself with money. And so that tool scares you. Some of you didn't do good in high school with, with uh, mathematics, arithmetic, so you're just scared of numbers. Some of the richest people in the world that I know have issues with numbers. So what do they do? They hire people to do the numbers. You can staff your weaknesses. I want you right there where you stand with your head bowed and your eye closed. I want you to dream outside of your personal selfish desires and start dreaming with God about millions coming through your hands to help others. What would you do with a million dollars? 95% of the people who win the lottery are broke within five years. Many of them even living under bridges because they were never trained on how to use that power tool. And all they did was do damage to their life. Father, I thank you right now for this message, for our church, God, for the men and women I love because I know you want to entrust them with millions and millions and millions of dollars of resource for kingdom business. Lord, we cannot change this world, Lord, without this resource, Lord God. We need to learn how to use it, not love it more than we love you, but to know how to manage it, to work this power tool. So God, I pray right now for freedom in thinking in Jesus' name. I pray for deliverance from the love of money in Jesus' name. I pray for deliverance from the fear of finances right now in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you, Lord God. They don't have to live in fear that they're going to lose it all. They're going to crash it all. They're, they're going to be poor. Deliver them right now, Lord. Your word says very clearly, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. 
nor its seed begging for bread. If you ask, you shall receive. Your word's very clear. You'll supply all our needs according to your riches. So, Lord God, I pray right now that some men and women in this room would awaken, awaken to, wait a minute, it's just a tool. Lord, I want to learn the tool so I can be an expert at it, so you can trust me with so much more than just one or two talents. I want to learn it, Lord God. So I pray right now a desire to learn to use this tool like never before. I pray for correction. Holy Spirit, correct us where we've been lazy. Correct us where we've made excuses. Lord, let there be a holy fire inside of us to use this tool for your glory. And with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want to give a call for anyone who might would say, Pastor, if, if I were honest today, I don't think if I died, I'd go to heaven. Would you let me pray with you? The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he'll forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You're just a prayer of repentance away. You're just a calling on God prayer away. And I'd like to lead you in a prayer like that right here, right now, where you stand. No one's looking around. This is deep. This is private. This is eternal. But you say, Pastor, that's me. Pray with me. I want to get right with God. With no one looking around, would you slip your hand up so I know who to pray with? I don't want to miss any person in this room. You say, Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I want to be right with the Lord. I give you about three seconds. Anyone? Pastor, pray for me. Amen. Okay, thank you. Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? I'm not right with God, but I want to pray. I want to repent. I want to be right with the Lord. Give you a couple more seconds. Anyone else? I already saw a hand or two. Anybody else? Okay. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in this prayer of repentance. And I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside those who lifted their hands. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've sinned against you. But here and now, I repent. Lord, I ask you to embrace me here and now as your son or daughter. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. Father, I pray right now, peace. Crazy peace. They're not fighting against you anymore. They've surrendered. They've bowed their heart. And they said, yes, Jesus, come into my life. So I pray, Lord God, that peace would come. They'll sleep well tonight because they're not under all the stress of what the end of the world's going to give them. They're right with you. They're going to be embraced into your arms at the end of this whole thing. And Jesus, I thank you for joy, fresh joy. And Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that no matter what happens in the days to come, Lord God, in the times where they stumble and fall and sin and they feel so terrible and guilty, would you remind them they're not perfect, but they are forgiven. And all they have to do right then and there is say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. And you embrace us afresh. Your mercies are renewed every morning. And we call that so in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we applaud all that God did? Thank you so much. I went a little long. Hey, everybody. Wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it. Consider it. Pray and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know. We want to know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2600.
We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.